The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. President Vladimir Putin launching a full military invasion of Ukraine. Air raid sirens ring out across Kiev as Moscow fires missiles at several Ukrainian cities. I decided to conduct a special military operation. Its goal is the protection of people who, over the past eight years, have suffered from abuse and genocide by the Kiev regime. We urge you to lay down arms immediately and go home. Ukraine's foreign minister tells CNBC this is an attack on the world order, calling for heavy sanctions against Moscow as Kiev requests an emergency UN Security Council session. Today, I initiated a telephone call with the Russian president. The result is silence, although the silence should be in Donbass. US President Joe Biden vows the world will hold Russia accountable and promises to impose severe sanctions in response to Russia's aggression. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz calls it a dark day for Europe, saying Moscow should cease military action immediately as Western allies plan to meet. In terms of markets price action, Brent crude spikes above $100 a barrel and equity markets fall around the world. The ruble hits a record low against the dollar. So Russian forces have launched an attack on Ukraine in the early hours of this morning after Vladimir Putin ordered a full-scale military invasion aimed at demilitarizing the country, launching what some have warned could trigger the largest conflict in Europe since the Second World War. Officials and media are reporting that Russian forces have fired missiles at several Ukrainian cities and landed troops on its south coast. In an address on Russian state television, Mr. Putin appealed to Ukrainian soldiers to lay down their arms and go home, saying Russia doesn't plan to occupy its southern neighbor. He also had a warning for anyone who interfered in his country's operations. Whoever would try to stop us and further create threats to our country, to our people, should know that Russia's response will be immediate and lead you to such consequences that you have never faced in your history. We're ready for any outcome. In a tense exchange, Ukraine's ambassador to the United Nations told the Security Council that Putin has declared war on Ukraine. Your president declared the war on Ukraine. So now I would like to ask the ambassador of the Russian Federation to say on the record that at this very moment, your troops do not shell and bomb Ukrainian cities. That your troops do not move in the territory of Ukraine. You have a smartphone, you can call Lavrov right now. We can make a pause to let you go out and call him. Well, in response, Russia's ambassador to the UN put the blame firmly on Ukraine. 
From President Putin's statement, it says that the occupation of Ukraine is not in our plans. The aim of this special operation is to protect the people who, for over eight years, have been suffering genocide by the Kiev regime. And for this, we will aim to demilitarize and degenocide Ukraine, and also hold accountable those who carried out so many crimes against civilians, including citizens of the Russian Federation. This decision was made in line with Article 51 of the UN Charter and sanctions on the Russian Federation, fulfilling the agreement on recognition of the LPR and DPR. Ukraine's foreign minister has told CNBC that Russia has, quote, launched an attack on the world order. Let's get to Hadley, who joins us now uh, from Austria. Uh, Hadley, um, just fill us in with the details that you've been hearing. Hey, good morning, Steve. So I spoke with the Ukrainian foreign minister, Dmitry Kulabev, as he was on the tarmac waiting to head off from Washington to Istanbul. When he lands in Istanbul, he's going to have to go through a third country um, and drive into Ukraine because, of course, as you know, all of the flights have been canceled. He told me, we are calling for the fierce isolation of Russia. This is an attack on the world order. He also confirmed to me um, that five minutes after President Putin announced his intentions, they saw heavy artillery and rockets already flying toward major cities, including Kyiv. Now, right now, he says there is heavy fighting, and he has repeatedly told me since back in December that if Ukraine is attacked, if there is an invasion, that the Ukrainians will defend themselves. And it's interesting to note um, that in spite of the fact that he has said this multiple times, um, and that they were building a civilian defense force. We understand that President Zelensky had warned citizens to stay inside their home. And from the military perspective, you've got to understand that if they don't mobilize civilian defenses now, it will be too late. This is, of course, an, an army, um, which is this, it's bigger than the, the size of Turkey's. It's the second biggest in Europe. Um, so it's certainly going to be something that, that Vladimir Putin will have a tough time with if he does, in fact, keep moving into that country. Um, but in terms of what I was speaking with the foreign minister about, he said, you know, repeatedly, if we had only um, put sanctions in place to, prior to this invasion, it could have deterred President Putin. That's something we've heard from them since December. He said, we are calling on the United States and on the West immediately to implement heavy sanctions. And that is including the immediate disconnection of Russia from the SWIFT system. He said, we need more heaven weaponry. We also need more financial assistance. We're going to be fighting for ourselves. We're under no illusions that anyone is going to come and fight for us. But at the end of the day, we do need assistance. And that comes in the form of economic assistance and, of course, heavy weaponry as well. Um, but I do want to reiterate, he is saying that the government is pressing not just Washington, but the U.N., Western powers, to implement those heavy sanctions immediately and to disconnect Russia from the SWIFT system. Guys? Hadley, thank you very much indeed for that. Let's talk about the reaction from Washington. President Joe Biden says the U.S., and its allies will respond decisively following Russia's, quote, unprovoked and unjustified attack in Ukraine, adding the world will hold Russia accountable. Biden said the West would draw up further sanctions after having already imposed restrictions on banks, lawmakers and oligarchs and the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. At this morning's Emergency Security Council meeting, the U.S.'s UN envoy warned several thousand lives now rest on Vladimir Putin's geopolitical ambitions. Over the past few weeks, Russia has called our predictions hysterical. Russia said we were lying. Russia said we were supplying the world with misinformation. Russia's diplomats even laughed in the face of the human suffering we were sounding the alarm about. 
Russia's attack on Ukraine is tantamount to an attack on the UN and every member state in the chamber tonight. Everyday Russians should be asking themselves right now how many Russian lives Putin will sacrifice for his cynical ambitions. Well, NBC's Alice Barr now joins us from Washington, D.C. Alice, um, thank you for, for coming to us. Um, let me ask you, um, what do we know so far about the president's timetable for the day ahead? Because clearly uh, we need to see some signs of a, a united response, it would appear. Certainly, President Biden will be meeting in the morning with leaders of the G7, uh, top allies, group of nations. Uh, and he said that they would be discussing much more stringent sanctions against Russia in that meeting and that afterward he would announce what those punishments would be. So we're expecting, I believe, around 9 a.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. tomorrow morning uh, for that meeting to be underway and for some of this movement to begin to, to hear what the response really will be. President Biden had already rolled out sanctions in concert with other allied nations across the country, but there had already been pushback within uh, lawmakers here within the U.S., even within his own party, who felt that those steps needed to go further. And we do know that the White House has a number of steps that it kind of kept in its back pocket. Um, some of the toughest actions against Russia, really trying to isolate its economy, uh, potentially cutting off um, some of its energy exports and things like that that are critical to the Russian economy, that those had been held back as leverage to try to prevent the kind of escalation in violence that we have now seen tonight. So with that no longer serving any kind of purpose, we do expect to see um, quite a bit more aggressive uh, economic anxious, uh, sanctions and actions when President Biden addresses the nation tomorrow morning. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. I'm going to take you to the U.S. futures action. We've seen a fairly violent reaction on markets. And don't forget the assumption was that what we had witnessed in recent days around eastern Ukraine may in fact just be it in terms of Russian aggression. There was a market assumption despite alternative facts and you know what we were hearing from effectively from political lines that there could be more. Markets had uh, taken a view and there was a little bit of calm that was restored. So early action suggesting that we've got a very uh, risk-off session unfolding later on today. And you can see uh, the major averages already have been marking lower. The Dow, for instance, has traveled uh, 10% off its record highs, so in correction territory. The S&P was already there, so even deeper in correction levels at this point. So more selling anticipated uh, later on for the trading session today. The big question is what investors do with value growth from here. And don't forget one of the major trades has been the anticipation that central banks will be lifting interest rates. Is that still going to be the trajectory now or do we see a cooling off given you've already had bond markets moving from the two, the tens to start to pull back some of those expectations. So we are setting up for a fairly uh, rough session today. Let me take it to Asian markets. Of course, they've already been trading. Had to pick up on this news flow very much live in their 
their session. You can see Australian markets trading down 3%. The Australian dollar risk off too on that currency. 1.5 down for China. Hong Kong markets falling heavily. Nearly 800 odd points in the red. 3.3% down. 1.8% coming off the Japanese stock market. Again, as we talk about Tokyo in a moment like this, we do have safe haven flows into the Japanese yen, which provides that absolute headwind for the Tokyo stock market. I want to take you to what we've got on the oil trade. This is a biggie. We have traveled up to 101.97, so we're just a whisker off the 102 handle on Brent. That is a huge rally we are seeing here. And on WTI, we're at 96.72. We have managed to move up by 5% on that trade. Keep in mind, we'd already escalated over the course of the month around some of these uh, stories that we were seeing unfolding on the geopolitics. The market was trying to judge the, a tight supply situation as well. So we have moved very, very aggressively. Now for the three-month window, we're up 24%. Just what will that do to inflation? That's the big one for economists from here. Gold and silver, these are go-to asset classes. Gold has been a very challenging trade for the last 12 months on this yield story that was emerging around rising interest rates. But as uh, Russia has moved around some of those eastern Ukraine regions, you've seen gold very much catch a bid this month. And it's uh, escalated past that 1900 level, 1937-38, up 1.6% where we are sitting. It is now the uh, fifth positive session out of six that we're witnessing over the course of the week. Uh, the size of the rally uh, still slim, but uh, to the tune of about one odd percent at this stage. Silver, you can see also going with gold. I want to take you to the ruble. A huge concentration of action around the ruble. We saw a plunge to a record low before suspension kicked in. We got to around the 89 handle. We're at 88.35. But uh, trading, given the volatility we've seen, has caused uh, Moex to suspend trade on the ruble. So we'll keep on tracking this for further action. I want to take you to the Treasury market because we have moved fairly steeply too on some of these trades. Don't forget that one-way trade almost that we're looking now at a much more aggressive rate path. Every live meeting for the Fed this year, potentially six rate hikes, maybe even a front-loaded 50 basis points a move. Just got to wonder whether we see the bond market continue to rethink that move, that trajectory. We're at 1.88 on the US 10-year yield and we're at 1.5 now on that two years. So we have moved south from recent trades. So we are seeing a complete repricing around risk at this hour. Steve. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, Karen. Thank you. Look, so that's what the markets are doing at the moment. What I want to do is just show you the map of the region as well and just explain to you why this isn't just some far-flung area of the world that actually doesn't affect Europe, doesn't affect Western Europe, doesn't affect NATO directly as well, because this is the map of Ukraine. Here you can see the 2014 uh, in the stripes, the annexation uh, of uh, Crimea, of course, uh, which happened uh, during uh, the events of 2014, which started off, of course, with the ousting of the Russian puppet in Kiev. Um, and thereafter, the Russians, of course, uh, in, uh, invaded and then annexed uh, Crimea as well. This is the region that's been in frozen conflict ever since 2014, where circa 14,000 military and civilians uh, have passed away uh, during that frozen conflict where you've had on to the right of this line here, you've had the Russian separatists to the left of this line, two thirds of the Donbass region, which encapsulates Luhansk and Donetsk as well. Uh, this region has been in conflict, but two thirds of that region has been held uh, by forces loyal to Kiev uh, over the intervening eight years as well. You can see Russia, of course, uh, dominating the 
landscape to the east and to the north uh, of Ukraine. This country, and this is why I want to explain to you why it affects all of us, the country to the north there that you can see, uh, that is Belarus as well. And of course, the Belarusian military drills with the Russians over the last few weeks have been an intense focus as well about the aspirations uh, of those military forces and whether there would be a northern uh, to southern attack uh, on Kiev from there, not just coming from uh, Russian areas as well. What I want to explain to you, though, in some detail is why this is so close to Europe. Here you've got Moldova, but this country to the south here uh, of this uh, western chunk of Ukraine, this is Romania. Romania is in the EU. Uh, then you've got Hungary. Hungary is in the EU. Then you've got Slovakia, of course, in the EU. And then this large country, obviously, to the left here, to the west, uh, is uh, Poland. Now, you've got uh, Lvov in the west of um, Ukraine, which is a very uh, pro-Western country as well. There is a direct route from Lvov uh, to Krakow in Poland. And we're seeing cars uh, coming out of Kiev now, perhaps trying to escape some form of um, Russian attack as well. Whether they are making for the border remains to be seen. There are two main arteries uh, going from Western Ukraine into Poland. One of them is pretty much this Lvov-Krakow route. But to the north, you've got a route which goes ultimately uh, all the way from Kiev uh, to, uh, to Warsaw, the capital, but on the way to that is Lublin as well. So you can see that there are main arteries, which would be very interesting in the West, which is again uh, a very EU-focused, very Western-focused part of the country, whereas of course in the east of the country, people are talking a lot more uh, about the Russian interlinks. But I, I'll just tell you from my experience, having been to uh, Kiev and Ukraine many times over the years, including of course during the events in 2014 as well, it's not so simplistic to say people are either Russian or Ukrainian. They're either Russian speakers or Ukrainian speakers. I remember one contact of mine speaking to me back in 2014 and said it is ludicrous to talk about Russian speakers or Ukrainian speakers. Most Ukrainians have either an indirect knowledge or a full speaking knowledge of Russian and vice versa as well. So the, the, the two countries are very interlinked historically as well. So to speak about pure Russians or pure Ukrainians, is, is disingenuous to say the least. For instance, there are three million people who identify themselves ethnically of Ukrainian who live in Russia uh, and many Russians living in Ukraine, vice versa as well. So it is a very complicated uh, part of the world historically, politically and socially as well. But it is on the doorstep uh, of not only NATO countries, but also, of course, of the EU as well. And Jeff, that makes this part of the world incredibly complicated as well. You've spent a lot of time in Russia. You've spent a lot of time in Poland as well. You know just how the dynamics work as well. NATO and its reaction will be absolutely fascinating all the way, uh, and again, for Liz Truss and her knowledge, all the way from Baltics, uh, the Estonias, Lithuanias, Latvias of this world, all the way down to the Black Sea. This is a stunningly complicated geopolitical picture. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I think one of the consequences of this action is ultimately going to uh, backfire on some of what was the stated intention, because if this will do anything, it will fortify the desire of many of those peripheral states on the Russian borders to want to be part of the NATO Security Alliance. And um, I think I see that uh, Finland is now talking of rejoining, which, of course, would be uh, a reversal of what uh, the Kremlin would like to see. And Poland and Lithuania now talking a lot about uh, Ukrainian membership of the EU, which, again, would be uh, directly opposed to what uh, uh, President Putin was hoping to achieve here. But let me let me throw in just a couple of quick points. Um, and these are courtesy of David Roche. And I think that they make a lot of sense here. One is 
how quickly do the hostilities cease? Because from a from a market and a humanitarian perspective, I think we just need to understand how quickly or otherwise the Russian forces may be able to advance. And if they get bogged down because of stiff resistance from domestic forces and a strong fight from the Ukrainian military, then this is going to become more difficult and more painful for the Kremlin and for President Putin. And the second point refers to what you were saying, Steve, how strong is the reaction going to be in real terms, in sanction terms? Are we talking about a disconnection from SWIFT? Are we talking of a suspension of imports and exports outside of the Russian Federation? These are the actions clearly that the Ukrainian government would like to see implemented. The question is, are Western leaders at this time sufficiently fortified in their belief that this will achieve the ultimate goal of persuading President Putin to desist at this stage. So I think two very important questions that it will become hard to discern the outcome of initially just because of the fog of war, ultimately, but we do need answers to because those will give us a sense, I think, from a market perspective and from a humanitarian perspective, how long this incursion may actually last. Karen. It's a good point around sanctions, and I'll pick up on that first, Jeff. I mean, we've seen already some sanctions lobbed by Western countries, this targeting individuals and banks in Russia. But what is uh, forecast is that you will see a real stepping up of that. And there's a, I think uh, uh, the minds have been uh, very much focused on ensuring there are no escape routes this time round. There's been a lot of criticism about sanctions in the past, and I know the British yesterday were talking about it. They lobbed sanctions to make sure that potentially involves Switzerland, so you haven't got money that's leaving from Russian oligarchs into Switzerland and then still coming into the UK anyway. So I think that's been a very interesting conversation behind the scenes, how you ensure that these sanctions have teeth this time round. So we will be watching that very closely. But Steve, to your point, when you just mentioned the map before about how complex the region is, you can see how all those various countries around Ukraine could get pulled into a conflict in any sanctions regime, which compresses business activity across the region. And I've got to say, the narrative has just changed instantly, hasn't it? We were talking about a market investor who may not see have ever seen inflation in their lifetime or interest rate hikes. Now we're talking about some form of a conflict that a lot of people would not have seen in their lifetime either. So there are a lot of unknowns here, I think, for a lot of people across the board. That's as citizens, but it's as investors and, and business people, as market participants. Uh, in terms of uh, what we were also mentioning uh, on the other foot too uh, about this uh, this conflict and whether it de-escalates quickly, and if you look at the language from Putin, they're saying our plans do not include the occupation of Ukraine territories. We are not going to impose anything by force. That is the line from Putin, which is completely in contrast to the boots on the ground and the, and the action you're seeing. What is his end game here? And, and what does that mean in terms of uh, the length of sanctions if he's not going to be as aggressive once he, once he potentially moves forward? I mean, you know, what, what is uh, the end point here for, for Russia? Yeah, um, uh, there's lots of things to say about that as well. Um, but, but one thing I will say is that um, the, the great fear, I mean, anyone who's spent a lot of time looking at people like um, Angela Stent's book as well and any of the, the people who really know about Mr Putin, he is looking at Novorossiya. He wants a reform. And he, and he said historically that the USSR's disintegration was one of the greatest historical errors uh, that his predecessors had uh, taken part in as well. So he wants an emboldened uh, Russian 
uh, sphere of influence as well. The problem comes, of course, that are now a lot of those ex-USSR countries, or a big part of the ex-Soviet um, uh, Warsaw Pact countries, uh, are now part of the EU. They are now part uh, of uh, NATO. Uh, and the Baltics, and again, Jeff mentioned, I think it's Finland, uh, Poland, these countries now who will see President Putin's actions uh, as a green light for NATO now to uh, really remilitarize those parts of the world where they've been cautious previously as well. So is Putin going to get actually the opposite of what he wants, which is an emboldened, refocused NATO? We know the French have talked about this a lot, uh, about NATO. I think it was brain dead was the comment I yes. heard from uh, Fr the French president previously. If you don't mind, I'm just going to interrupt because um, from the, I know you're going to come back in after, but I want to just say some flashes. Now, we're going to be very careful on the flashes we give you today. We're going to uh, cross-check and double-check as much as we can with our partners at NBC and our partners at Sky. Uh, and I think you'll thank us for that eventually rather than just going with every rash headline we see. But we have got some uh, Reuters headlines coming out of Ukraine at the moment where the president says we are building an anti-Putin coalition. Ukraine minister, uh, not the president, says cyber attacks are going non-stop. Uh, Ukraine emergency service reports shelling in western Ukraine in the Lviv region. Lviv region as well, which is very interesting because, as I said to you before, that is far, far away from the Donbass, about as far as you can get from the Donbass uh, in the geography uh, of Ukraine as well. Ukraine emergency service reporting shelling there. Uh, but the parliament in Ukraine approving the presidential decree on martial law. That is the latest flash we have there out of Ukraine. Karen. Yeah, I just pick up on your points. Don't forget there was a conversation taking place over 2021 about uh, a European army. There were moves afoot, and that's not just from Emmanuel Macron, but as you say, from some of the other newer entrants into the European project. And you've got to wonder what happens from here now that we've seen this aggression by Russia. Is there more money that is channeled towards defence spending, more money that is spent on the military and also in the United States? I mean, we've had just come out of a world, and I think we're still in a potential, where we've been talking about spending on health care bulking up on uh, federal funds that go towards health spending uh, around vaccines and medical care of people fall sick. Now, this is another onus too, isn't it, on budgets for various states, perhaps to bulk up on military and defence spending, Jeff? Yeah, Karen, unfortunately, you know, that old argument about fix the umbrella when the sun is shining um, can be applied, I think, to both of these issues. One is... Uh, is NATO currently fit for purpose? And um, why haven't we seen more agreement uh, in recent years over uh, the combined uh, Euro European defence force? Um, and it's been for a lack of willingness to spend money and for a, a lack of uh, united political will to make that happen. And then the second point is the same one as it applies to energy security. Why weren't the decisions taken uh, in previous years to ensure security of energy supply, which is such an important strategic issue? But just to come back to, to some of the points that we were discussing earlier, um, it, it does appear from the reports that we are getting that some form of cruise missile has been used against Ukrainian communication centres in various cities, perhaps even including Kiev. And it does appear that maybe special forces are involved in actions against uh, Ukrainian uh, port cities. The issue, though, is intent. And I, I think um, it's pretty clear that with the force that is being talked about currently, that isn't sufficient to uh, take and then control uh, Ukraine and hold Ukraine for um, 
a long period of time. So perhaps that is the one line from the president that everybody, or President Putin, that everybody can perhaps acknowledge that this is not an effort to take over and seize Ukraine as a whole, because currently it would appear that the force that's being discussed would not be able to do that. So this seems designed to bend the will of the Ukrainian government to Putin's previously stated ambitions. Now, from a market perspective, you were mentioning inflation. It just seems to me that in the short term, we now are going to have to uh, live with the fact that selected commodity prices will continue to rise as a consequence of that, of this. We've already seen the oil price up through $100 a barrel. That means we're going to have higher inflation for longer. That means we're going to have a stronger dollar, maybe a stronger yen, maybe a stronger Swiss franc. Generally, those safe havens will be in play here. But it all ultimately puts further pressure back onto the central banking community to think a little bit harder about how quickly they want to increase the price of money globally. So I think there are many, many consequences downstream now that our core investing audience need to think very hard about if we continue to see this military action get bogged down and run for weeks, if not days. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.